0: So good to be with you. This morning, we have one more message from the Sermon on the Mount before we take a break uh, starting next week for an Advent series. So, we are in Matthew 6. It's the next text after we finished our series on the Lord's Prayer. But for context, I've had several readings from Matthew. So, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We will start in Matthew 4. This is from the temptation of Jesus right after his baptism. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And now we turn to Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And finally, Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The last time I had the privilege of preaching was the end of July. And my subject was lust. And after that sermon, someone grabbed me in the hall and he said, wow, that was a hard subject. I wonder what they'll give you next. (laughs) Friends, this is what I got next. The subject of fasting four days before Thanksgiving. I don't want you to run away. I don't want to ruin your meal on Thursday. You don't have to fast on Thursday. I guess unless the Lord calls you to. But I wonder, when's the last time you heard a sermon on fasting, especially four days before Thanksgiving? It's an unusual assignment. I felt that when it came to me months ago. But as I've prepared, I really started to think, Lord, I think you have something to tell us here. And not just because of this, but even because of this time in the year. So I want to start with just some basic reminders about fasting, and then we'll get more into it. In the Bible, fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time for some special spiritual purpose. When people fast in the Bible, they're motivated by a hunger for God, but they're also hungry for God to do something. And so we see people fasting and they're hungry uh, for God, but they're mourning over their sin or they're crying out for deliverance or justice. They're, they're preparing for a mission that God has for them or they're seeking God's direction So in the Bible, fasting from food is something that God's people don't do all the time. They do it periodically. And so in that way, it feels different from something like reading your Bible or praying. And yet periodic fasting goes hand in hand with these things because as we turn away from something like food, we can give greater attention and focus to the Lord and to these means of grace. It's good to know, though, for some people, fasting from food is not wise or possible for a number of reasons. So I want to remind you that a number of authors and commentators have said that you can understand fasting more broadly, more generally. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So in fasting, we're abstaining from God's good gifts so that we can focus on God himself. We deny ourselves the good in order to seek something better. Or you might say the best. God's people have fasted in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and throughout church history. And you look at the Bible and see the list of people who fasted, and it's amazing. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, the Apostle Paul, and as you see today, Jesus himself. You could add to that list a lot of people from church history. And you could look around the world today and see that all kinds of people fast for all kinds of reasons. Religious reasons, political reasons, even physical reasons. But in our little part of the world, it's interesting. For most of us, we rarely hear about fasting. We rarely talk about fasting. Why is that? Some people take fasting way too far. We see that in history and today. Other people completely ignore it. Indeed, in Jesus' time, the danger was the former, that people would take fasting way too far. He would call this sermon, Fasting in a World of Fasting. But in our culture, the danger is actually the latter, that we would completely ignore this. And so we're calling it fasting in a world of feasting. When God's word talks about something, and then we sense that we're never talking about it, we should probably talk about it. So here we are. It's a holiday season. It's feasting. It's upon us. How's our hunger for God? Is it possible that all the good of this season might actually dull Our hunger for God. In a world of feasting, could the Lord have something to say to us about fasting? This morning, I want us to see the problem of fasting, but also the problem of not fasting, and then a few purposes of fasting. And my prayer is that the Lord would show us how fasting from food or other good things could be a powerful weapon in our fight of faith. And more than anything, I pray that he would give us all a greater hunger for himself. So first I want to talk about the problem of fasting. If you look with me at Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount part. Matthew six sixteen is a continuation of what Jesus said at the beginning of Matthew 6, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the main idea of this whole section. Doing spiritual things to be seen by others is a great danger. If you take the whole section together, we see that that danger can creep into every part of our life. Because in verse two, Jesus says, don't do that in an outward act like giving to the needy. And then in verse five, he says, don't do that in an inward act like prayer. And now in verse 16, he's saying, don't do that in a spiritual discipline like fasting. No matter what we're doing. There's this temptation to do it for people, not the Lord. And we find ourselves doing this sort of selfish religion where we're doing things to earn God's love or approval or make people think we're great instead of knowing that in Christ we have his love and approval. And so whatever we're doing, we're doing it as a response because we already know that he loves us. So Jesus says in verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. So a little context. In the Old Testament, God's people would fast several times a year, sort of at big, big times in the the Jewish calendar. But by Jesus' time, a lot of religious leaders were fasting twice a week. So fasting was like a badge of honor. Back then, the question, well, how much do you fast, would be a little bit like today where you go to the gym and someone's like, how much do you bench You know, it was sort of like their spiritual weightlifting. Like, look how much I'm fasting. And if someone was fasting twice a week, you would think, man, you really love the Lord. And as Jesus sort of jokes, and I can tell because you're so sad and you look terrible. You're wearing it. But Jesus shoots this whole thing down. He says, this isn't love for God. This is just theater. And if you want the Lord's applause, you can have it. But it's all you'll have because you're doing this for people. You're not doing this for the Lord. So What's the problem with fasting? The problem is when our main motivation is to be seen and praised by others. Do you ever feel this in your spiritual life? That there's more intensity, there's more excitement to go do something in front of others at Bible study, or oh they saw me reading my Bible, they heard me pray. There's more excitement about that than being alone with the Lord and just worshiping Him and knowing Him. This happens. We begin to see Things like reading our Bible and praying as not just means to know God, but as ends in themselves. This is what we do, and uh, isn't it impressive how much I'm doing it, and I'm pleased with myself, and I'm better than you. And now, ooh, now you're saying, that, ah, that's impressive. You're a spiritual person, and that feels good. The religious leaders were fasting because they were hungry for people's praise. They weren't hungry for God. And we can fall into the same trap, doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And when we see this in our hearts, and maybe you feel it right now, what do you do? You go back to a verse like Matthew five twenty, where Jesus says, you need a greater righteousness. And you say, Lord, I need your grace. I need you to change my heart. I need you to remind me that nothing I could do would be righteous enough. But Jesus came and he lived the perfect righteousness and he died because I don't have it. And he gave it to me. And he wants to live it through me. So fasting and other spiritual practices are not the problem. We're the problem when we put our hope in what we're doing and not in what Jesus has done. You look at a passage like Colossians 2. Apostle Paul talks about people whose religion is all about self-denial. He says their motto is, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Maybe you've known people like this. Just don't do that. Just don't hang out with them. Just don't drink that. Don't touch that. Paul says this looks like wisdom in the way that it promotes self-denial, but he says it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, we can discipline our bodies as much as we want, but we cannot change our hearts. Only Jesus can change our hearts. You see the potential problems with fasting. You hear what I'm saying. You say, great, sounds like that's dangerous. I just won't do it. There's a problem with that because the same Paul who said this denied himself and fasted. And the same Jesus who's talking in Matthew 6 denied himself and fasted. And he says, when you fast. The wrong kind of fasting is about being seen and loved by other people because we're hungry for their praise. But there is a right kind of fasting. It's about being seen and loved by the Father because we're hungry for him when we're motivated by the grace of God, and we have a hunger for God, fasting can be good for us and glorifying to Him. So yes, there's a potential problem with fasting, but there's also a potential problem with not fasting. So let's talk more about that. When Ann and I got married in 2008, Mark Davis was officiating, and in his message, Mark shared a quotation from John Piper, and it's from a great book called A Hunger for God. John Piper says, "...the greatest enemy of a hunger for God, is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Referring to Luke 14. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. There's a lot there, but what stands out to me, the greatest enemy of a hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the bad stuff. It's actually the good stuff. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. So I want to talk about that. He mentions the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, and that's a picture of salvation as this great party, And what's fascinating in luke 14 is the party's ready and the invitation goes out and all the people who are doing well in the world they don't come why don't they come not because they're doing all kinds of bad things they're actually really busy with good things property possessions relationships their life's so full of the good that there's no room for the great and who does eventually come to the banquet in the story, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, the truly needy, the truly hungry, the people who can't even get to the party without help. So I ask, what are the good things that keep you from coming to God's feast? Then you think about the parable of the sower in Mark 4. It's in the other gospels as well. Jesus describes people whose hearts are like thorny soil, and he says the cares of the world And the desires for other things choke the word and make it unfruitful. So we ask, are the cares of the world and the desires of other things choking the word of God in our life? If all of this is true, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions that we don't always ask. Like, what's the greatest enemy to my hunger for God? What are the good gifts of God that fill me up so that I'm not hungry for him? And I'll give you a list, but think about it for you, not for the person you came with. Work, money, possessions, a phone, video games, sports, kids, even a spouse. What good things are keeping us from tasting the greatness of God? If all this is true, it's really not easy to hunger for God in a place like Dallas because we have so much. The finest food, the newest technology. We feast on homes and cars and sports and vacations and success. We barely question it because it's all good stuff, right? And the world's telling us it's wrong to deny your impulses or appetites. You got to just go for it. If it's good, if it feels good, do it. But deep down, after all this feasting, are we really satisfied? And then in the next month, we'll feast on food and parties and decorations and gifts. But on December 26th, think about it. Will you be full or will you be empty and exhausted? In Revelation 3.17, Jesus is addressing this lukewarm church at Laodicea. And he says, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked." We can be so rich in this world that we become blind to our true condition. In this passage, Jesus invites us to come to him for all that we need. And he doesn't throw us out. He lovingly rebukes us and calls us to repent. And he says he stands at the door and knocks politely, right? What is his offer? He wants to come in and share a meal with us. It's real food, real fellowship, real riches, a real feast. So when we fast, we face all the problems of self-denial gone wrong. But if we never fast, we face the problems of self-indulgence, that we just gorge ourselves on the world. We nibble so long at the table of the world that we're not hungry for God. But when we open the gospels, it's amazing. We see our Lord fasting and teaching about fasting. Look in your bulletin at Matthew four, one through four. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's the next scene right after his baptism. You try to put yourself in Jesus' dirty sandals. You've come for this mission to destroy the work of the devil, defeat sin and death, save your people. What would you do to get ready for that? You'd go around and build a team. You'd raise support. You'd, you know, eat right and get some sleep, lift weights, get in shape. What does Jesus do? The Spirit leads him into the wilderness all by himself to be tempted by the devil, and Jesus fasts for 40 days. What's going on here? Jesus has come to succeed where everyone else has failed. In the wilderness, Israel failed the test. So in this wilderness, Jesus must ace the test. It's easy to miss the significance of the moment. What if he fails here? We're lost. Jesus hasn't eaten in about six weeks and the devil offers him bread. What's gonna happen? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 to the devil. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Up to this point, everyone had fallen for Satan's trick, but Jesus won't. He hungers for God more than bread, even after a 40-day fast. We see his heart again in John 4, 34, where he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Praise the Lord. Jesus had the hunger for God and the hunger for God's mission that we should have. So in our place, he resisted that temptation. And what started in the wilderness continued all the way to the cross Have you ever thought about this? I hadn't. In some measure, we owe our salvation to Jesus fasting. In his weakness here, the father strengthened him. In his hunger here, the father fed him for the road ahead. Now, if you zoom out and think about this, kind of blows your mind. Jesus' whole mission on earth was a fast. Because if your eternal residence is at the right hand of the father, coming here is a fast. Fast. We'll sing soon, leaving riches without number, born within a cattle stall. This, the everlasting wonder, Christ was born the Lord of all. Jesus denied himself all the good things that he enjoyed in heaven for our sake. On the cross, he gave up everything good you could possibly imagine for our sake. He hungered for us more than he hungered for his own comfort, even to the point of death. He fasted that we might feast in his presence forever. So Matthew 4, Jesus fasts at the beginning of his ministry. You say, well, that's great. It doesn't necessarily mean I should. But now look at Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Perhaps the most important passage in the New Testament about fasting, because in two sentences, Jesus explains when and why his followers should fast. And this makes Christian fasting different from every other kind of fasting, because it's all about him. Remember, it's that world where everyone's fasting and people are confused about Jesus and his disciples. They say, why aren't you guys fasting? And what does Jesus say? He gives them a wedding metaphor. He always responds in an interesting way, doesn't he? But you've been to a wedding, so imagine this. You show up at a wedding and maybe the father of the bride stands up and says, thanks for coming for tonight. Just wanna let you know we're fasting. There'll be no food, there'll be no cake, there'll be no drinks, just fasting and prayer. Have a great night, thanks for coming. That would not go well. No one fasts at a wedding. I think that's what Jesus is saying. This is a time of joyful feasting. Jesus is saying, I'm the long-awaited bridegroom. You've been looking for me. I'm here now. How could my friends fast right now? But a day will come when I'm taken away, and then they will fast. Fasting is somehow about the absence or presence of Jesus. There was no fasting in the Garden of Eden, as far as I can tell. Adam and Eve enjoyed the fullness of God's presence in paradise before the fall. But ever since sin entered the world, you could say we've had a reason to fast because we hunger for God's presence and he's absent in some ways. We long for his kingdom to come. We want to be married. And for a brief moment, about 2000 years ago, the bridegroom was actually here. He lived and died and rose again. And it felt like our wedding was about to happen. And then he shocked us all and left but he promised to come back for his bride. And while he's away, there is a place, Jesus says, for fasting. Whether we fast from food or some other good thing, what we're doing is expressing our hunger for God. We're mourning the way things are. We're longing for him to return because we love him. When we fast, we're saying, Lord, we hunger for you. We know you're with us by your spirit, but we know you've also promised to be with us in an even greater way, and we miss you. Please come back soon. If we never fast from anything, I just want you to think, what, what are we saying? If we never set good stuff aside and focus on the Lord, if we always just, whatever our impulses grab that, look at this, do this, are we saying we're kind of okay with the way the world is? But when the Spirit leads us and grace motivates us, fasting reminds us that the world is not all there is. And there's a hunger in us that nothing in this world, however good can satisfy because he is our bridegroom and he's in heaven and we long for his return. In 2006, the Lord really interrupted my life. I was going along doing pretty well, but he brought a young woman named Ann Melson into my world and I'd always been single. And my parents will tell you, there were no signs of that changing. But then Ann showed up and everything did change. I I was looking back this week and the question was like, what did everyone else think about what was unfolding? Because I was always there for pickup basketball. Now I wasn't. I was always there to hang out with guys in the youth ministry. Now I wasn't. I was always game for spending time with friends. Now I wasn't. All of a sudden I had this new hunger to be with her. And all these other things took a back seat. Why? Not because they were bad, but because to me, She was better. So in a sense, I was fasting from everything else so that I could feast on this new relationship. Just before our our engagement, I went on one of our mission trips to the other side of the world and I was trying really hard to be all there. But in my heart, I just wanted to be with Anne. So what would I do? I would stay up late or wake up really early just to talk to her. Or I'd skip a meal just so I could connect with her. And we were separated by thousands of miles and all I wanted was to be back in her presence. This week I realized that's what our relationship with the Lord should be like. That's a picture of self-denial in the Christian life because Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. He's not saying, give up the good and I'll give you something worse. He's saying, give up the good so I can give you something better, so I can give you the best thing, so I can give you myself. It's not a sacrifice to give up something good and get Jesus (laughs) That's the kind of decision we make every day with things we love, because we think the thing we love is better. So please don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying anything bad about the good gifts of God that we enjoy. I'm just saying that Jesus is better. Fasting is abstaining from food or some other good thing to grow our hunger for God. And as the Lord leads us, think about how this spiritual discipline might be a blessing to us. Three purposes I want you to consider, one for us, one for the world, And one about the Father. So to steal Jesus' phrase, when we fast, the Lord teaches us about ourselves. Because fasting reveals what's in our hearts. What we really hunger for. So if you want to know what really controls you, fast from food for a meal or a day or two. Fast from looking at your phone every spare moment of every day. Fast from checking your financial accounts every day. Fast from TV or social media or sports or video games or whatever we do to distract ourselves and fill up all this time. Fast from eating or drinking or shopping just to cope with life. And when that hunger grows, to run back to that good thing, cry out, Lord, why do I love these things more than I love you? I want to hunger for you more than anything else. And let the Spirit lead you deeper into God's word and prayer. And taste and see that Jesus really is better. Second, when we fast, the Lord prepares us for mission. You may be sensing fasting is radically God-centered, yes. But if our fasting doesn't lead to mission, there's a problem. And that's the point of Isaiah 58. We don't have time to read it now, but I'd encourage you to read it later. Fasting helps us identify with the hunger and need around us. We begin to realize billions of our neighbors in the world, they don't have a choice. They don't have the good things we enjoy. They're actually in what you would call a forced fast (laughs) because of poverty or slavery or injustice. And many of them don't know Jesus. When we're feasting on the good things of this world, we struggle to relate. We struggle to care. But when the Lord leads us in fasting, we begin to sense the hunger, not just in us, but the hunger around us, the need around us. And we're hungry for the Lord to do something about it. In A Hunger for God, John Piper writes this. He says, The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. The more homesick you get for heaven. The more you want all the fullness of God. The more you want to be done with sin. The more you want the bridegroom to come again. The more you want the church revived and purified with the beauty of Jesus. The more you want a great awakening to God's reality in the cities." The more you want to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ penetrate the darkness of all the unreached peoples of the world. The more you want to see false worldviews yield to the force of truth. The more you want to see pain relieved and tears wiped away and death destroyed. The more you long for every wrong to be made right and the justice and grace of God to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Church, are you hungry for that? I think a lot of times we hear that sounds awesome but we're not really hungry for that because we've filled ourselves up with other things. The desires for other things, the cares of this world have dulled our hunger. We're so full of good things that we have lost track of the great commission. So may the spirit wake us up to the joy of our calling. Finally, when we fast, the father rewards us, not with anything in the world, but with himself. Jesus invites us to fast, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by the Father. Think about that. Your Father sees you. We have a personal invitation to spend time with the lover of our souls. There's no reason to look gloomy and act miserable. Because in the end, fasting is really feasting. It's being with the one we love, who loved us first. He laid down his life for us. He fasted so that whoever looks to him might find a feast. Are you hungry this morning maybe you've known him for a long time and you want that hunger to grow maybe you don't know him and you feel that hunger growing in you know that he sees you and he longs to satisfy your soul not with the good things of this world but with himself friends next week we'll dive into advent it's a season of waiting longing preparing for his coming it's the fast before the feast because the bridegroom has come And he's promised to come again. So in this world of feasting, how might the Lord call us to fast? Let's pray. Father, we hunger for you more than anything else. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came for us, that you fasted from all that you had in heaven, that we might feast with you now and forever. Lord, we don't deserve this. We could never earn this, but we receive you again today as the bread of life. Lord Jesus, we miss you. We long for your return. We pray that while we wait, you would give us a greater hunger for you and for your mission. Lead us. We want to feast and we want to fast for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.